Hello everyone, welcome back to Logical Bible Study, and once again we're taking a look at the Gospel reading for today's Mass. So if you go to Mass today, you'll hear from Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 to 33. So we're going to have a look at the text, and then as we always do in this podcast, we want to have a go at analysing the literal sense of Scripture. What was the original meaning in the plain sense of the text? What's the author trying to communicate to his audience? And of course, if we understand that correctly, then that would also be the meaning that is intended by the Holy Spirit. And so that's where we always want to start as Catholics when we study the scripture. Jesus instructed the twelve as follows. The disciple is not superior to his teacher, nor the slave to his master. It is enough for the disciple that he should grow to be like his teacher, and the slave like his master. If they have called the master of the house of Beelzebul, what will they not say of his household? Do not be afraid, for everything that is now covered will be uncovered, and everything now hidden will be made clear. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the daylight. What you hear in whispers, proclaim from the housetops. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Fear him rather who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Can you not buy two sparrows for a penny, and yet not one falls to the ground without your father knowing? Why, every hair on your head has been counted. So there is no need to be afraid. You are worth more than hundreds of sparrows." So if anyone declares himself for me in the presence of men, I will declare myself for him in the presence of my Father in heaven. But the one who disowns me in the presence of men, I will disown in the presence of my Father in heaven. Now, our context here is really important. Jesus is speaking within a longer speech here, which he's giving to his 12 apostles before he sends them out amongst the towns. So the audience is is the 12 apostles. He has just been warning them of the dangers they will face. And if you've been listening in the last few days, you might have heard that. Now he's getting into a part of the sermon where he's encouraging them to not be afraid when they face those difficulties on their mission. So we start at verse 24. Jesus instructed the 12. So he's giving the 12 apostles in particular guidance about how to go about their specific mission. So what Jesus says here does not necessarily apply to all disciples in all times. Let's keep that in mind. And he starts by saying this, the disciple is not superior to his teacher, nor the slave to his master. Now, Jesus actually says this a few different times in his ministry in different contexts. So this is actually one of his favorite phrases. The disciple is not superior to his teacher, nor the slave to his master. It has different meanings, depending on the context, but the basic meaning is always the same. And the basic meaning is this. This has happened to me, so if you follow me, don't be surprised when it happens to you. So he says this, for example, at the Last Supper, uh, in, in relation to washing people's feet, and so... When the apostles see him washing their feet, at first they're a little bit surprised and they say, why should we have to wash each other's feet? And Jesus' basic answer is, I'm your master and I'm doing it and you're the servants, 
so you should do it as well. So it's the same basic idea. But in this particular context, in Matthew today, he's talking about the suffering that the 12 apostles will experience on their mission. So the basic idea here is if your master experiences suffering and you're the servants, well, then you should experience suffering as well. Verse 25, it is enough for the disciple that he should grow to be like his teacher and the slave like his master. So Jesus tells the apostles that although the suffering and persecution they will experience is going to be difficult, in a sense, it's going to be an honor as well because they are servants and they'll get to experience the same thing their master did. And therefore, if they do it properly, they'll grow to be more like him. Now, we should keep this perspective in mind when we go through suffering. There's a lot of different verses that are used um, when the topic of suffering for Christians is brought up, but this is one that's often neglected, and we should keep this verse in mind. Jesus here says that if we're really his servants and he's our master, then we should expect suffering and use it to become more like him. That's the basic teaching here. We should expect suffering because of who we serve. He then says, if they have called the master of the house of Beelzebul. Now, who's Beelzebul? This was the the name of a well-known Canaanite god in the Old Testament. And you can see it discussed in 2 Kings chapter 1, where some of the Jews fall into worshipping Beelzebul as well. And it is roughly translated Prince of Baal. So it's a well-known Canaanite god. Now, over time, the Jews had changed the meaning of the word a little bit. And in the time of Jesus... Basically, Beelzebul had come to mean something like prince of demons. So it's what we'd call Satan. It was the Jewish way of referring to Satan, basically. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, what will they not say of his household? So what's Jesus saying here? Well, he's saying, well, we know that the Jewish leaders are already called Jesus. Well, they said he already serves Beelzebul rather than God. So remember, they say that in chapter 9, verse 34, they see him working these miracles and they say, oh, he must be serving Beelzebul. That's how he's doing this sorcery. That's what the Jewish leaders said. And that's a deep insult, actually, to Jesus. And Jesus tells his apostles that they themselves should not be surprised then when they face similar persecution from the Jewish authorities if that's the way they respond to the kingdom of God in its fullness, in the person of Jesus, well, then, of course, they're going to have a similar reaction when Jesus' servants do similar things. That's the idea here. He then goes on to verse 26. Now, the audience here is important. He's talking to the 12 apostles, and he's giving them instructions about their specific mission. So that means what Jesus says here does not necessarily apply to all disciples in all times. We can't say that this applies to us in the same way. The first thing he says is, do not be afraid, or literally, have no fear of them. So who's the them? Well, in context, he's telling the apostles not to be afraid of the Jewish leaders and the governors who are going to persecute them and put them on trial in the coming years. So Jesus knows that the apostles, when they preach the gospel, are going to face persecution. And he's telling them, do not be afraid of those who persecute you. For everything that is now covered will be uncovered, and everything now hidden will be made clear. This is probably a reference to the apostolic age. So Jesus is looking ahead to the time when the apostles will preach on earth. And Jesus is saying that while he is currently speaking, 
about the kingdom during his own lifetime in a kind of veiled way, using things like parables. He teaches here that after his return to heaven and the Holy Spirit has come in the apostolic age, the apostles will proclaim the kingdom of God clearly to the whole world and they won't use parables. So let's have a look at that phrase again. For everything that is now covered will be uncovered and everything now hidden will be made clear. So I think that is what's talking about. The apostolic age, the apostles' preaching will be quite clear and not vague as Jesus teaching sometimes is deliberately. And by the way, Jesus deliberately makes things vague. He's contrasting that with the way the apostles will preach, which would be very plain. That's how God sets up his plan of salvation. During Jesus' lifetime, he reveals the kingdom to people in a sort of hidden way where that only those who are open to it will understand. But then when the apostles preach, it sort of changes a bit and they speak in a much more plain way. And apparently that's how the father wanted to set it up. Verse 27, what I tell you in the dark, tell in the daylight. What you hear in whispers, proclaim from the housetops. So once again, same meaning, Jesus is telling the apostles that they will need to boldly proclaim the things of the kingdom, which at the present time that he's speaking, he's only revealing to them privately. He's saying the day will come when you're going to shout the mysteries of the kingdom from the housetops. And what does it mean by housetops? Well, in that culture, all houses had roofs for socializing. So you go up on the roof um, to talk to people and to do certain tasks. It was actually a good place to stand and shout a message to the neighborhood. So it's a metaphorical thing. When Jesus says shout from the housetops, he means tell everyone. That is going to be the apostles' mission after Jesus is gone. Verse 28, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. So Jesus now encourages his apostles to put their suffering that they're going to experience in an eternal perspective. He knows that they're going to encounter a lot of persecution in the coming years, and he knows that some of them are even going to be killed for their faith, and we know from history that that appears to be the case. However, Jesus tells them not to fear bodily death, since in doing so, they will gain much greater. If they die in the faith, they go to heaven. Here he says there's a much worse fate that they should be afraid of, which is this, fear him rather who can destroy both body and soul in hell. This is a scary phrase. Now, some have thought that this uh, refers to Satan, and typically people will say that who aren't comfortable with seeing God as judge. But in context, and certainly in the way uh, Jesus explains hell in other places, this is God. God the Father is the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Jesus is not telling them to fear Satan. That would not seem to fit with his other teachings. He's saying, fear God. So the Father is the one who sends people to hell, not Satan. Satan might be there in a sense, but God is the one who sends people there. So here, why does Jesus bring this up? Well, he's basically warning his apostles not to give up on the faith, no matter how much they'll be persecuted. He says that although denying the faith might give them some temporary relief, they'll stop being persecuted in this life, and they might be tempted to do that actually, He says that if they give up on the faith, they will end up in a much worse place, hell, in eternal life. Here, this is a pretty clear teaching, at least for the apostles, that if you deny the faith, you end up in hell. It probably applies particularly in this context to the apostles, though. The apostles in particular are being warned about this because they are given a very special commissioning 
and authority from Jesus. So they have a greater responsibility to stay in the faith and also means they receive a greater condemnation if they don't use their responsibility well. Now, what's the word for hell here? The word for hell is Gehenna. That's Jesus' word that he usually uses when he's describing the eternal state of destruction. Jesus teaches things about hell all through the Gospels. And here, notice what he says. Uh, Fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. So, he says something quite clear about how hell works. Both the body and the soul are, in some sense, destroyed in hell. Now, there's a lot of discussion amongst theologians about what it means to have your soul destroyed. Some have thought that it means annihilated, as in your soul goes out of existence. That's not the Catholic view, though. The Catholic view is destroyed here, in some sense, means broken down, which is certainly the way destroyed is used in other places in the Bible. So in hell, it's a scary thought, but Jesus is saying it is a place where your soul is kind of broken down. So he puts that aside for a bit, the afterlife stuff. He's now going to give a couple of short metaphors to show the apostles and to encourage them that God is indeed watching over them, so they should not fear. But he's going to return at the end of our passage to more information about the afterlife. Verse 29, first little metaphor. Can you not buy two sparrows for a penny? So sparrows were used for different things by the Jews. It appears they might have been used in liturgical sacrifices at the temple. Certainly, they are very cheap. A penny is very cheap. But Jesus says, and yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father knowing. So even though sparrows were common in that culture and they were quite cheap, Jesus says God the Father sees and knows when every single sparrow falls. This is an affirmation of God's omniscience. This verse clearly teaches that God sees, I mean, if he sees all the sparrows falling, by implication, it teaches that God sees everything on earth. Jesus' point here is this. If the Father can see when every sparrow falls, of course he can see and watch over each of you apostles who are so much more precious than sparrows. Now, some translations actually make it stronger than this, rather than saying, yet not one falls to the ground without your father knowing, it actually says, without your father willing it. Now, that's even stronger, isn't it? Because it tells us, if that's the right translation, God not only is watching everything, he is actually planning and allowing everything. Everything is under his control, and that's certainly part of Catholic belief as well. Verse 30, why every hair on your head has been counted. So Jesus teaches that God the Father knows people so intimately that he even knows the number of hairs on our head. How incredible is that? We should reflect on this verse more. This is a God who knows us far more intimately and deeply than we even know ourselves. He knows the number of hairs on our head. We don't know that, but he does. Verse 31, So there is no need to be afraid. You are worth more than hundreds of sparrows. The apostles, as God's messengers, are far more valuable than sparrows. That's the teaching here. Now, Jesus probably applies this to all humans as well. Probably, in Jesus' mind, all humans are valuable to God. They're more valuable than sparrows because we're made in God's image. We are all incredibly loved by God, much more than common animals. Now, that has interesting applications for animal rights movement, doesn't it? Because the clear teaching of Scripture is that although animals are incredibly uh, valuable and uh, worth protecting... The clear teaching of scripture is that humans are much, much more valuable than animals, in the eyes of God at least. 
Jesus is now going to return to the theme of the afterlife, and he's going to talk a bit about martyrdom and how martyrdom works if you're killed for proclaiming your faith in Jesus. Verse 32, so if anyone declares himself for me in the presence of men, or as other translations have this, acknowledges me before men, when would this happen? Well, in context, Jesus is predicting that there will come a time when the apostles will be asked by the Jewish leaders, often at the point of death, whether they believe Jesus is the Messiah. And we know from history that that happened. They basically were told, if you deny your faith in Jesus, we'll stop persecuting you. And many of them, uh, well, certainly the apostles, did not give up the faith. They were willing to die. They would not deny Jesus. Other disciples were known to leave the faith in that situation. That's why Jesus brings it up, because he knows that the apostles are going to face that challenge. If anyone declares himself for me in the presence of men, I will declare myself for him in the presence of my Father in heaven. A better translation here, I think, is I will acknowledge him before my Father. So the idea here is that if the apostles remain faithful to Jesus and do not deny him, even at the point of death, then Jesus will intercede on their behalf in heaven and will tell the Father that this apostle is one of his own. Therefore, if the apostle is martyred as a result of refusing to give up on Jesus, they will enter heaven. That's the teaching here. And you notice the link here to what he said earlier about fear the one who can cast you body and soul into hell. This is another reminder not to give up the faith so that they can enter heaven. Jesus will honor them if they honor him. But then he flips it around. But the one who disowns me in the presence of men I will disown in the presence of my Father in heaven. So anyone who denies Jesus when questioned, Jesus says he will deny that person to the Father. That's kind of scary, isn't it? This is a strong implication that the person who denies Jesus when asked if they believe in him will not be admitted into heaven. Now, certainly the primary application here is to the time of the apostles. It's a warning to the apostles that if they deny Jesus, they will not get into heaven. And so there's some debate about how much that applies, because certainly some people are put under quite a strong amount of pressure to give up the faith. Um, But certainly here we have the basics of the teaching about martyrdom. Now, that's all we get to hear today. The next part of this speech is read on Monday of week 15 in Ordinary Time. It's not actually read on any Sundays, so if you want to hear the next little bit, Monday of week 15 in ordinary time. Let's take a quick look at some catechism paragraphs which make reference to this passage from Matthew chapter 10. Paragraph 765, this is about the way the church is structured. The twelve and the other disciples share in Christ's mission and his power, but also in his lot. And it references here Matthew chapter 10 in particular, where he tells them, if I've been persecuted, you should expect persecution too. Paragraph 363, this is about the idea of a soul. In sacred scripture, the term soul often refers to human life or the entire human person. But soul also refers to the innermost aspect of man, that which is of greatest value in him, that by which he is most especially in God's image. Soul signifies the spiritual principle in man. And certainly we hear Jesus referring to souls here. Paragraph 1034 is about hell. And this brings together uh, various things Jesus says about Gehenna. 
Jesus often speaks of Gehenna of the unquenchable fire reserved for those who, to the end of their life, refuse to believe and be converted, where both body and soul can be lost. Jesus solemnly proclaims that he will send his angels and they will gather all evildoers and throw them into the furnace of fire and that he will pronounce the condemnation. Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire. Scary words, but this is in the Catechism. It's part of Catholic teaching that those who persist to the end of their life in refusing to believe and be converted will go to hell where their soul and body will be lost. Obviously, there's a bit more nuance in here. This is just one paragraph, um, but it does certainly make reference to Jesus' basic teaching about what happens in hell. Paragraph 305, this is about divine providence, uh, one of the most mysterious aspects of theology. Jesus asks for childlike abandonment to the providence of our Heavenly Father who takes care of his children's smallest needs. And it then goes on to reference various passages in Matthew, and this is one of them, where Jesus says, the very hairs on your head are numbered. So the Father knows us and he takes care of us in his divine providence. Paragraph 1816 is about faith. The disciple of Christ must not only keep the faith and live on it, but also profess it, confidently bear witness to it and spread it. All, however, must be prepared to confess Christ before men and to follow him along the way of the cross, amidst the persecutions which the church never lacks. Service of and witness to the faith are necessary for salvation. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So we have there a direct quote from what we heard today in Matthew chapter 10 to support the Catholic teaching that service of and witness to the faith are necessary for salvation. We don't like to hear that there's conditions on salvation, but this is one of them. We have to witness to the faith and we cannot deny it openly. Paragraph 2145, this is our last one for today. The faithful should bear witness to the Lord's name by confessing the faith without giving way to fear. Preaching and catechizing should be permeated with adoration and respect for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we'll leave it there for today. Thank you again for listening. I hope you learned something new. It's always great to dive into the text of the Gospels, particularly Matthew, because there's a lot of stuff going on there in terms of the Jewish context that we often don't know about. And that's the point of this podcast, to help you uh, get to know those um, socio-cultural aspects of the text that you may not have been aware of, so that we can better get at what Jesus intended to teach. And I know so many of you have benefited from this approach to scriptures. Thank you for your feedback. Please consider sending in an email if you're new to the podcast and you're learning from it. Uh, Send an email to logicalbiblestudy at gmail.com. And please consider partnering with the ministry as well so that we can expand the kingdom uh, through people and particularly Catholics learning more about the scriptures. All of the information for that is in the show notes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again tomorrow.